All right, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 26. We're actually going to be in Matthew and Mark and Luke, but we won't spend much time in Mark and Luke. We'll also be in John as well, but uh, we'll, we'll spend most of our time in Matthew, chapter number 26. This evening, we're going to look at um, you know, just knowing the, uh, the time, you know, the uh, the, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, the time surrounding these events is something that contrary and uh, contrary to other events in biblical history, uh, a lot, you know, some events that we consider to be important, and they are important, we can't really put firmly put the mark on when the time, when those things happened. But, um, but the Resurrection of Christ and therefore the death of Christ, the crucifixion, is something that has a firm time established or connected to it because it happened on Passover, and the Passover happened during the full moon. So, um, so that's that much is is clear. Um, but I did want to mention something. I was the reason I'm hesitating because I'm just thinking through in my mind what I want to say. I heard something today, and it kind of relates to this broadly. <laughs> um, you know, as you get into Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew 26, and as you look in Matthew 26, you're only just a step away from when the Lord is arrested. In fact, we're going to read about the Garden of Gethsemane, and then right after that, actually, the, the arrest of the Lord happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I heard today in light of the recent current events in the news, one uh, representative in the U.S. Congress compared uh, the former president to Jesus being arrested and uh, compared him to Jesus directly, I mean, by name, and, uh, and, and said that, you know, Jesus, just like Jesus, was arrested and put to death by the Romans, put to death, you know. Donald Trump is not to be compared with Jesus Christ. They, they don't even belong in the, same, in the same room, in the same universe. And the truth is, we don't either. The reality is, we don't either. But... This is not the first time I've heard this disgusting comparison. And when, when you're comparing a political leader to the Son of God, God in the flesh, politics has gotten, just like Ari said in his prayer, politics has gotten way out of hand. Again, our hope is not in politics. <laughs> I hope, if anything, if the last year of, our, of the news... Hopefully that has rid us ever of any thought that politics is going to be some savior. I just, I don't know, I felt like I should say that. And I don't regret it either. Um, Matthew 26, let's read verse number 36. Down through verse number 46. It says this, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means there's different opinions on it, but the one that's most commonly held, I don't speak Chaldee, so I couldn't tell you. That's where they say this word comes from. But um, they say it means oil press, oil press, because there were apparently olive trees in that, in that area, in that, that garden. 
And saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, just as a, as a side note, not the main thing I would like to say tonight, but, you know, you think about, in, in a way, this, you, could, you could look at this as a temptation of Christ, although there wasn't an outside tempter, but the, the struggle of submission, willingness to do the Father's will, you know, could it be that the Lord in His humanity, of course, this is a grand example. This story here, this narrative is a fantastic example of the, the relationship between the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. In this, you see the humanity very clearly, not to the exclusion of the deity, but you see the humanity more clearly and more pronounced here. But it could it be that the Lord was able to say, yes. Thy will, not my will, thy will be done. Because he was watching and praying, you know, as our example, because he did tell them to watch and pray because of the, te the temptation that would come upon them, which would shortly come to pass. Verse 42 says, He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. You know, if it were me, I could very easily see myself in verse number 43. Very easily. Like, I, that's not even, a, not even a, a small stretch, sadly. Verse 44, and he left them and went away again and prayed the third time. Remember when Paul had a burden? He had an affliction in his flesh. How many times did he pray for God to remove it? Three times. Saying the same words, verse 45, Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he, that, he is at hand that doth betray me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this uh, account given about how that you prayed and, Lord, how your will was submitted to the Father. And, Lord, thank you also for the subject matter about which this is spoken. Lord, I, I would just pray you'd help us as we study the word to do it justice and to really help us. To under, I pray that you'd help us to understand what's being said here. Not that it's deep, but, Lord, that it would be clear. So, Lord, please help us. Give us grace and uh, instruct us from your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So the question is always, uh, he just wrote, he just sent me a voice message, just saying, he just did while we're talking. You need to tell him, he needs to get in church. No, I'm just, just joking. But he did send me a message. The first question we must ascertain is, what is the cup? That's always, that the whole thing, that this, this event centers around the cup because the Lord is, his struggle is with the cup. In verse number 39, he says, let this cup pass from me. In verse 42, he says, if this cup may not pass away from me. And, you know, there's, there's different ideas about what the cup is referring to. I won't spend a lot of time talking about it. You know, I know some have spent whole sermons talking about the cup and they think they know what it is. Um, in Revelation, just to kind of go through these things really quickly, and you guys can, I'll leave it with you to search out later. Uh, all of our messages from our church are put on online on a podcast. You can go to the website. You can find any, any message. So if you want to go back and study it, you can do that. In Revelation 14 and verse 10 and chapter 16 and verse 19, of course, that's referring to the tribulation. And it, 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 it talks about how that the Lord is given, giving those who are judged a cup that is full without mixture, which means it's undiluted, full of the wrath the wine of the wrath and fierceness. It says, the wine of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So that cup, that cup, which is also in the New Testament, is a reference to wrath, God's anger poured out. And that's one use, but that's not the only one. In the Old Testament, there are, the word cup is sometimes used to refer to the, the judgments and the sufferings that would come that came upon Israel during their time when they were uh, when they were disobedient. So you have different ways it's referred uh, it's referred to. But one thing, I, one one place in Matthew chapter twenty, which I would like you to look at if you would, one one uh, mention of the cup is I thought was interesting because oftentimes, in in fact, when I went into this, I have notes on my on my uh, in my notes here. There are points that I wrote down, and then after I got reading and, and looking at more verses, I realized, well, that's not right. <laughs> so that does happen. And uh, I'll explain to you what I mean in just a minute. But in Matthew chapter 20, this was the verse that really made me, made me think, well, maybe, I, maybe I, I went a little too far with it. Matthew 20, verse 22 says this. This is, of course, the question of James and John about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of, of, uh, of heaven there and, and the Lord's kingdom. It says in verse 22, And Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are ye able to, notice what he says, Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with just, just for you Bible students, which I hope that's everybody, when we talk about the baptism for the dead in 1 Corinthians. That's, this is it right here. This is the cross-reference you need to refer to, all right? And if you read the context of 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, you'll understand why it's, it's related. So he says, uh, they say unto him, we are able, verse 23, and he saith unto them, ye shall drink indeed of my cup. Now, of course, this is, I think it's obvious and it's, it's evident, self-evident, that this cup is the same cup that the Lord is referring to later. He uses this term throughout his interaction with the disciples in his ministry here. He says, Ye shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Of course, this is not water baptism. This is something far worse. We would all prefer water baptism over this. 
but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. So notice he says to James and John, he says, he asked them, are you able to drink of my cup, the, the cup that I drink of? And they said, we're able. And he, and he said, ye shall drink of my cup, this cup. Which is to say that the cup that Jesus was speaking of was not unique to him, but others would also drink of it. And James and John did because this is a reference to suffering. So I had to revise my definition of what I thought the cup was referring to to something a little broader. Uh, look, at, look, if you would, at Mark chapter 14. We'll look at the, this is the parallel passage. We'll come back to, to Matthew in just a minute. Mark 14 and verse, verse number 32 Mark 14 and verse 32 says this, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall, while I, while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be very sore amazed, and to be very heavy. And, he, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto, unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Notice he says in verse 36, he says cup, right? But in 35, in a parallel verse, he says what? He says hour. That informs us what the cup is talking about. You know, many times I, 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 was, I had a number of verses that we, I could look at, but let's look at just one in John chapter 12. You say, whoa, we're turning a lot of verses tonight. I'm, my, my hands are tired. It's okay. We'll be done in a minute. John 12, in verse number 23. So in, in Mark, he says, referring to the cup, he refers to it in a parallel way. In the parallel kind of grammar, he says, the hour. And of course, the hour is a key word in the life of Christ. Oftentimes, he would, he would refer to his hour had not yet come. When they wanted to lay hands on him in John chapter 7 and in John chapter 8, two separate times, they wanted to lay hands on him and arrest him, which they ended up doing in Gethsemane, right? When they wanted to do that, the Bible says his hour had not yet come. The time for that had not yet come. That's what the, that's what the word hour means. And, and then uh, in John chapter 12, look at these verses. This is a very interesting passage on the same subject. In verse number, uh, chapter 12, verse 23, it says this. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now you think of glory as exalted, and that's what it means, right? Exalted. But between now and glorification, there's a few steps, <laughs> right? Look at what the Lord says in the next verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and what? Die. That's what's included in his hour. It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And you think about what a, what a neat illustration you know, I planted some, uh, some, some uh, I ordered some seeds for some particular flowers 
that I wanted, wanted to put in my flower bed. And so I decided this time, instead of buying plants that are unreasonably expensive, I was going to buy seeds and then directly sow them into the ground. And so far, they're doing pretty good. But what's neat is you take that seed and you bury it. You take something that's, you know, you consider it to be alive. It's a seed and you bury it. It's a picture of death. But then it sprouts and it brings forth new life and abundant life. That's what the Lord is talking about here. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Verse 25, he that loveth his life shall lose it. Now here's where it's interesting to me. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So he's referring to his own hour, his cup of death and sufferings. But then he applies it to us. Loving one's life, hating one's life, which is just a reference to, you know, loving the Lord above every other consideration. So even in his, and you'll see why I'm saying this in just a minute, but even in his, his death, which was absolutely unique, he uses that as, to serve as an example to us. Verse 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. That's to say, you're, you might die too. You better be ready. I better be ready. Where I, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him, him will my father honor. Look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world, and now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Think about the hour, the cup, this hour. So that means that the judgment of the world and the defeat of Satan was accomplished by means of Christ's sufferings and His death. So what appeared to the world to be defeat, His defeat, was actually victory and judgment. Judgment of sin. Think about Christ was judged for sin. He stood in our place. Now look at verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now, we commonly use this verse and quote it to reference, you know, exalting the Lord before others. But 33 makes it perfectly clear what he's referring to, although that might be a, a proper application. This said he's signifying what death he should die. So when he's talking about being lifted up from the earth, when you want to stick plainly with the text, here's what that's saying. That him being lifted up from the earth, his crucifixion, his drinking of that cup that he dreaded, and his, uh, his coming to that hour that was appointed to him. By that event, he would draw all men unto himself. That means the Lord loves and desires all men to be saved. And his death upon the cross was at least one of the means whereby God draws sinners to Himself. That event. This is not some special 
outside thing where God's drawing some and not others. No, this is a universal draw by virtue of His sacrifice. Now, let's go back to Matthew, if you would. So we have the cup. So let me just summarize what I think the cup refers to. I think the cup refers to the sufferings beginning at the Garden of Gethsemane when he is arrested, going through his, his crucifixion. I think the, 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 the cup refers to the sufferings and ultimate death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the reason it's different than the cup he mentioned to James and John is, is because of the cause. And that's included in the Lord's cup. In the Lord's cup is not only physical harm, but it's also the weight of sin that brought him to that point. It's also, it's also and in fact, if, you were in, if you've been in our Sunday school class for the last two years or whatever it's been, we went through all the seven sayings of Christ on the cross, and in none of the sayings does the Lord whine or cry out as a result of just physical sufferings, with the lone exception of I thirst, which that's debatable. But you know what he does cry out? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's a spiritual, that's a spiritual point. And so the Lord, he suffered, he was ridiculed, shamed, mocked, ultimately whipped, nailed to a cross, but all because of our sin. And that is unique. He was ultimately smitten of God. Ultimately, the Father judged His Son. That's just, a, it's just an unbelievable thing to, not unbelievable, but you know what I'm saying. It's a, an amazing thing to think about. And in that way, the Lord's cup was unlike every other cup. Now, the cup of suffering might be similar to His disciples who would follow Him in suffering. And like He says, if any man will come after me, he needs to take up his cross and deny himself. And he, he, we should not love our lives. You know, that kind of thing. Though in that way, the suffering is something we can share, that cup. But in a, in a unique way, there's no way to share it. His cup was for Him only to drink. Now, let me just make a few points about the Lord as our example. In Matthew 26, let's just read through it again real quick. Verse number 38 says this, or verse 37 says, He took with him Peter and, and, and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. I'll just make a couple of really quick practical points here. Sometimes our Lord leads us into sorrowful things. We have this idea, listen, as I wrote this down, I'm just speaking from my heart here, okay? As I was typing this out, as I was typing this out, I mean, it was painful for me to type it out because when I type it out, you know, I'm, I'm talking to myself, right? But I thought as I was typing it out, but I have to say it. <laughs> Sometimes the Lord puts us through sorrowful things. It's true. We have this idea 
that if we're right with God and we love God, everything will be fine and, and we won't have any sorrow. And that's not true. No one was more right with God, if I can use that term, than the Lord Jesus. That's just not true. But you know what? That doctrine that I just mentioned, it pervades Christianity. It is everywhere. Let's keep reading. The Lord says, He went a little further and fell on His face, verse 39, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. Was the Father willing? No. You know what that tells us? The Lord is expressing His desire to His Father. You know, here's that humanity, divinity. In His, in his role and in His person as the, as the Son of God, now we know He is God in the flesh, the Trinity, but in His role as the Son of God, the Lord is speaking to His Father expressing a desire, a desire not unlike a desire that we might express if we were in a similar situation. Lord, I don't want to go through this. I dread it. Please don't let it happen. You know what? The Lord shows us here that it is possible to express one's desire to the Lord while at the same time submitting to the will of God. You can do both. But, as we see, we know the outcome of this story, that some things that we want for, or that we want, and some things that we ask God for are not God's will. It was not the Father's will that this cup passed from the Lord. So the Lord's desire was not granted. The answer was no. But in Mark 14, what you see is, you don't have to turn there, we, we just read it. In Mark 14, verse number 35, or verse 36 rather, the Lord says, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. You know what that, that sentence expresses to me? Faith. Lord, you can do anything. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying to the Father. And the answer was still no. It was a prayer of faith, expressed a, a good desire, and the answer was no. You see, the Lord Jesus was willing. He was willing. You know, if you look back at Matthew, of course, we know he said, in verse, just as a reminder, verse 42, and he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. So in the first time he says, let his, his, the core of his request is, let this cup pass away. In the second prayer he says, thy will be done. That's the active part of the sentence. Thy will be done. You see, in this case, there were two wills involved. You had the will of the Father, and you had the will of the Son. And it's interesting because the Father 
had a choice. Now, follow me. I, I trust you understand that I'm not, I'm not being irreverent when I say that, but there, there was a choice here for the father. The father could have, here's what, here, here was his choice. He could have said yes to the Lord, Jesus, and let the cup pass from his son and let the world perish in its sin. That was his choice. It would have been, the world would have perished. You and I would have perished justly because of our crimes against God. His other choice, though, was to deliver this cup of suffering and wrath to his son so that the objects of his love, you and me, would be saved. That was the father's choice. You know what his choice was? You know what he decided? He decided to do B. So, he, so his answer was no. Think about that. His answer was no. Jesus said, if there's any way possible, the Lord, and, and the Father said, there's not. This is the only way that God's justice and holiness as well as our salvation before a holy God, our reconciliation to God could happen at the same time. You see, this is the love of God who spared not even His own Son. We talked about that not too long ago. The last thing I want us to see, so you have the Father is willing But then also don't forget that the son is willing. Knowing the stakes. In chapter, in Matthew 26, look down. Look down at verse number 51, 52, 53. What happens? Was the son willing? He prayed three times. He realized in those three, those three periods of prayer, however long they were, probably pretty long, that he, he prayed and he, he came to the conclusion that the Father was not willing that the cup passed from him. That it was the Father's will that he drank it. And despite everything, the pain, the sorrow, the suffering, the shame, the torture, the fors- being forsaken of the Father, the ultimate dying for sin, being the sinner, as it were. Knowing all of that in advance, he says, your will be done. That is the key to our our Christian life in every matter. Pastor Stewart talked about that on Sunday night, right? That's all that matters. What I want, what you want, none of that matters. What matters is what God wants, period. Period. And the Lord exemplified that. But I don't want you to... The, Jesus, in, in, in theological circles today, Jesus, basically, his life is presented as basically... Um, I want to be careful, but it's almost like the Lord's life and all the things he did are characterized as, as basically a good example for us to follow. And that is the sum total of everything he did was it was just a good example for us to follow. But, and he, he was our example. 
our, our ultimate example of humanity, right? Upright, righteous humanity. That, he was that. He was Adam the right way, you know, but better. But that is not the sum total of what this is about. So we can draw lessons from this, this, uh, this account about prayer and about faith and about sorrow and all these things. We can draw lessons from them because they're there. We can see our Lord's example, how He yielded His will despite everything. And we can see how it's, it's of primary importance that we yield our will to God. We can see all of that, but that's not the main point. The main point is what is happening. And that's what I want to say last of all. Jesus' will was yielded to God, the Father. In verse 53, he says, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? This is right after the prayer. They're, they're arresting him. Peter takes a swing trying to decapitate the, one of the guys, Malchus, the servant of the high priest, and he dodges and cuts his ear off. And the Lord rebukes Peter. He, he had an easy out at that moment. Even at that moment, he could have called to the Father. And it, the verse says that the Father would have sent, would have sent 12 legions of angels and it would have been over. But he wouldn't. That's his will. So the Father saying no was his will. The Son yielding his will to the Father, there's his will. And then having the chance to escape, he said no. That's the will of the Son. Both wills were involved and consented. The Father sending the Son and requiring that he drink the cup and the Son yielding to drink the cup. One writer said, I, wrote, I read today, he said, The petition of Christ, therefore, was subject not only to the will of the Father, but, also, but to His own will, that the Father's will might be done. But that's not what this is about, primarily. Look what it says in uh, chapter 26, verse 39, once again. It says, my, O my Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. And then in verse number 42, he says, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink of it, thy will be done. Look, back at 39, it says, If it be possible. Here's the thing, I, the, the point I want us to see. It was not possible. Jesus prayed, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And the simple reality was, it wasn't. What do I mean by that? If there had been any way whatsoever that the world could have been reconciled to God and sins forgiven without God's own Son being sacrificed, it would have been done. <laughs> if there was, if it had been possible. John 3.35, I covered this not too long ago. It says this, the Father loveth the Son. It's not, like the, it's not like the Father was looking for a reason to sacrifice the Son, just like Abraham and Isaac. Remember, that was the, the picture of the Father, but the love between the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son. If there had been any other way that it could have been accomplished without the Son of God being sacrificed, it would have been done. But it wasn't. 
There was no other way. There was no other way for the world to be reconciled to God. It, the, the, the cup that the Lord drank was necessary. It was required. There was no other way for you and for me to have our sins forgiven by a just and holy God. No other way. It was not possible. Now think about it. If it was required and it was necessary, we need to understand and really get our head around this this reality that what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross was not just a part of our salvation. The Lord didn't give us a good start for us to complete ourselves later. No, this is the core. This is it. This is our salvation. You say, what about believing? Yeah, you have to believe and you have to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're not doing anything. You're receiving and trusting in what has already been done by Christ. You see, there was no other way. What he did was required to save us. That was the key. That was the salvation That's why his name means salvation. Jehovah saves. What he did was our salvation. And this is why the Lord said, the Father said, there's no other way. It's not possible. Son, it's not possible. You know, some people have a, a messed up view of salvation and they think that it's mostly them and Jesus did something, you know, Jesus, in other words, like I was saying before, they look at even the cross not as a sacrifice of God's Son in the place of wicked sinners. No, no, they look at the cross as essentially a, a, story, of, a story of injustice and perseverance. That's not what it's about. If that's what it was about, Jesus would not have gone. <laughs> the answer would have been yes, I'll let this cup pass from you. L- listen, the Lord would not have gone to the cross just to, just to kind of be a nice little example of perseverance in the, pa- in the face of injustice. That is so stupid. The Lord went to the cross because there was no other way possible. That's why. If it be possible, it's not. It's not possible. It had to be the Lord taking our place. And upon, listen now, upon that truth, you know what? Upon that fact, our souls rest. Our very eternity rests on that fact and nothing else. That Christ died for me. That's what it rests on. It was necessary. Let's pray together.